And in fact, there is an Adam West Day celebration every day. Every day? Every day? Wow, he's famous. <laughs> <laughs> Every day it's Adam West Day in Walla Walla. <laughs> Can you imagine? Welcome to Damn It Jim, the podcast. A fun and fascinating look at the very influential Star Trek, the original series. Once again, I'm your navigator for this episode. My name is Dana Smith, and our captain of camp is my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. I didn't get a promotion this week, Dana. <laughs> I actually had you up to Commodore. I want to save your next promotion for something else. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh it's gotta be an event. So Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm excited to see what I need to do <laughs> to get to Commodore. Should we get to the listener comments? Yeah, let's do it. Last week we discussed Plato's stepchildren. We did get several comments on Facebook about that. Yeah. Our friend Tang Dan said, not the best episode, notwithstanding the famous kiss. Right. Mark Durier said, when Kirk first kissed Uhura and had three exclamation points after that. Oh, that's all he said. Yeah. Don Conley said, Shatner chewed up more scenery in this one than Homer did donuts in the entire Simpsons season. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is true. <laughs> I love that comment. When I read that, I was like, I was going along and I'm reading Homer. And then I saw donuts. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. That Homer. Yeah. yeah Not the and, Greek uh, Homer. Because <laughs> he'd be chewing up euros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, after last week's episode, I wanted a euro. Yeah. Herbert McKenzie said, technically, Lucy and Desi may be the first, as well as Mike Nelson kissing an Asian woman on Sea Hunt, but the sheer scandal of blacks and whites kissing cannot be understated. This happened the same year that Petula Clark held Harry Belafonte's hand for a moment on the variety show uh, and Chrysler threatened to pull its ads out. Wow. Scott Lamb said telekinetic powers is a pretty broad topic in the original series. You had Charlie and Charlie X, Telosians in the Menagerie, um, Kirk's pal, Lieutenant Commander Gary Mitchell and Where No Man Has Gone Before, just to name a few. Yeah, yep, that's right. So I thought that was a really good comment and good observation. What do you think? Is it real? Telekinetic powers? Real stuff? I've been trying to uh, control you with my mind for years, Dan. So <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't, think it, I, don't, I don't think it's real at all. Yeah, I don't either. No. There's the old tricks of like how to bend a spoon and stuff like that with your mind, and it's just tricks. Right, all tricks, yeah. And everybody knows tricks are for kids. So, <laughs> Man, I have not had tricks in a long time now that you mention that. Wow, yeah. I mean, so many of those, I've had Fruit Loops, but I haven't had tricks. They still make tricks, don't they? Sure. <laughs> what I remember <laughs> about tricks is that the flavors were like more citrusy. So it was probably better for you because it probably had real juice in it. Or is like just citric acid. I used to buy a box of uh, Fruit Loops as an adult and mm -hmm. just eat it, you know, stick my hand in like as a bag of chips. Yeah. You could do the same thing with Captain Crunch, too. Oh, yeah. Well, until it tore the crap out of your mouth, yeah. Yeah. 
Pam McClung, our good friend, said maybe you should have added a weekly count for the Enterprise getting a mysterious distress call. She says this probably happened more often than McCoy saying, I'm a doctor, not a blank. And Pam, don't get me started on that. So, <laughs> Yeah, please, Pam, don't. He will. He's going to go off. <laughs> Finally, Brian Levine said, nope, too painful to watch. And he put in parentheses, not for the kiss. There's a few other people that commented they thought it was one of the worst episodes of uh, not season three, but the whole series. Wow. Okay. So, Dan, do we have any other emails or messages that you want to share? Yeah, we got a phone call this week, Dana, from our friend Bill from Lacey, Washington. Bill has some ideas of what we can do after the original series. And here is what Bill has to say. I had thought of two more shows you guys could add to your list of maybe shows. What about the old Adam West Batman? And the other suggestion would be Mission Impossible. That was a great series, and it has some good ones, and it has some stinkers. So there definitely sounds like a possibility to me. So once again, thanks for the great show. Keep bringing it on. Take care. So, Dana, I do have somewhat of a connection to the original Batman series. Adam West grew up here in Walla Walla. His family house is still here. Went to Whitman College. And, in fact, there is an Adam West Day celebration every day. F*** every day? Every day? Every day? Wow, he's famous. <laughs> <laughs> every day it's Adam West Day in Walla Walla. <laughs> Can you imagine? That actually might not be so bad. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, there is an Adam West Day's celebration in Walla Walla every year. They do, like, the bat signal on top of one of the hotels. Oh, wow. Yeah, they usually have the bat helicopter that's uh, on display, or the bat copter. They've got the Batmobile, like the one of the original Batmobiles. So it's pretty cool. Wow. I'll have to come up there sometime and check that out. And Dana, we did get an email from Anthony Seclair. He writes, hi, guys. I enjoyed last week's recap of my favorite episode, The Tholian Web. It feels more like season one than season three. That's actually a pretty good point. It does beg the question if you should add one more count to your episode recap. Should Dr. McCoy be bitch slapped? <laughs> you mean Mabinga? <laughs> yeah, like probably even more than Mabinga. I'd, I'd say it's like above a Mabinga. He goes on, he was at his most annoying this time around, which is saying a lot, and a good backhand would have been welcomed by all. <laughs> Looking forward to this week's installment. As always, best regards, Anthony. Thanks, Anthony. Oh, that's awesome. I, I like that one. And that's all I have, Dana. What's the phone number people can call in on? Dana, the number is 509-676-6298. That's the Damn It Jim hotline. And if we like what you have to say, we'll put you on the air. Yeah, we're on a bit of a roll. That's, uh, what, two, three phone messages we've had in two, three weeks? Right when we're coming to the end of the series, we start getting phone calls. So. <laughs> well, let's keep it up. Let's try to get another. Let's go for five phone calls. We're This is the uh, phone call telethon uh, for the Damn It Jim <laughs> podcast. We don't want money. I mean, if you want to send money. But what you want is phone calls. Yeah. So keep them coming. Definitely. Okay, Dan, let's move on to season three, episode 11, Wink of an Eye. Yeah, let's do it. So we start off with Scotty in the commander's chair as the Enterprise is circling a Class M planet. What? <laughs> it, it's, you just never see those on this show. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and believe it or not, Dan, they are responding to a distress call. No, Dana. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. believe it. It's going to be like 
four or five weeks in a row. It's so outrageous to me. Yeah. You know, after the last three weeks, you would think Kirk would be like, no, nope. Distress call. Mm-mm. Scotty's doing the captain's or the lieutenant commander's log, I guess. Do you think his log would be as big as the captain's log? Is it as long as the captain's log? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, this this log is longer than most of the captain's. All oh, right. That's because so. he's Scottish. <laughs> While exploring the outer quadrant of the galaxy... The Enterprise received distress calls from an apparently uninhabited, incredibly beautiful city on the planet of Skalos. Captain Kirk and the landing party have beamed down to investigate. We're up here celebrating because we're not going to be able to beam them back up. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. The The accent's getting really good, by the way. Yeah, just by the time the show ends, I'll have it down pat. (laughs) Okay, not only is it a distress call, right? Yeah. It's also an uninhabited planet, apparently. No life forms. Yep. And it's on the outer freaking edge of the galaxy again. Which they should should have mapped like five times already. (laughs) (laughs) And how do they even know about this planet? Like, they know the name, so obviously they know about this planet. Yeah, how do you know the name if you don't know anything about the planet? Right. Maybe there's an exit sign. It said, exit this way to Scalos or whatever the name of this place was. Yeah, and like four planets back said, you know, three more planets to Scalos. (laughs) (laughs) Last chance for gas. (laughs) Yeah, last chance for dilithium crystals. Yeah. (laughs) Last rest stop. Good time to flush your antimatter, whatever it is you shove out into space. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. <laughs> so uh, we go down to the planet. Kirk is standing by a man-made waterfall and like a little retaining pond there. And he calls up to the ship as Scotty reports the sensors are reading something, but can't figure out what it is. They still <laughs> haven't got those sensors fixed, Dan. <laughs> well, you think they would have gotten those things fixed at this point? <laughs> it's been... Again, three, four weeks since uh, yeah. they've been having these sensor problems. Right. And then he says, there may be a malfunction with the with the sensors. <laughs> <laughs> After three weeks, I'd be like, Kirk, oh, now you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Scotty, isn't that your job to fix those? So then Kirk talks to Uhura, who reports the distress call is coming from Kirk's exact location. But on the screen, we see a group of people, obviously not the landing party. Right. And she says the coordinates are exactly where the landing party is. And so we see, like, you know, McCoy is standing there looking around, and there's a guy behind McCoy that's by the water pond and stuff. Kind of getting water samples, right? He's getting something, yeah. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) she says the distress call is very strong, pleading for assistance. And McCoy reports... There must be a malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> this is malfunction is the the word of the day in this episode, Dan. Okay. By the way. So he says the planet is barren, no vegetation, and no animal life. And then Kirk kind of swats at a fly or something and says, "There is insect life. I can hear it." And we hear like a buzzing, right? Yeah, it's like a little. <laughs> hey, I can do an impression. <laughs> don't wear it out <laughs> actually dana i haven't told you about this 
I actually have one. Sorry, this doesn't definitely ramble jar. Um, I have one impression that I can do that I do really, really well. But you have to kind of see it as well as hear it. So should I even do it? <laughs> I'm watching you. Okay, here it is. You can describe kind of what you're saying to the audience, okay? Okay. Dan is doing an impersonation of a cat cleaning himself. Meow. <laughs> He's got a hairball yeah. coming up. <laughs> Think the rest is self-explanatory. <laughs> there you go. Was it pretty good? Yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's better if I have a little chance to practice it, you know, watch my cat a little bit to kind of get back in the mood, but yeah. So McCoy says his tricorder doesn't register anything. Spock walks up and reports, uh, says, evidently a civilization of high order, rating number seven on the industrial scale. Seven out of 50. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they had a little fountain, so they had to be pretty advanced, right? And they had a statue of a guy sitting up on top of the fountain. Yeah. And they had like in the background, you saw this like pretty amazing city. Yeah. But there's no people. What the heck? You know. Build it and they will leave. And so, <laughs> yeah. And Kirk says, no sign of present life. And I don't know if you notice this, Dan. People do impersonations of Kirk all the time, mm -hmm. or William Shatner and Kirk. Yeah. And this is where I think it went full blown because he says, like, no sign of present life. Yeah. <laughs> it just keeps going on here in this episode. Yep. It's a chat fest on the, it's seven on the chat fest scale. <laughs> <laughs> Spock says instrument readings indicate life form, but of a highly unusual and intermittent nature. Well, wait a second. His instrument says that, but McCoy's didn't and the Enterprise instruments didn't say it. Yeah. Wouldn't you think the bigger instrument on board the Enterprise would be like the final say so? I think personally Spock would have the bigger instrument. He knows how to use it best. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's only once every seven years. So. <laughs> Unless it's a red hot poker like last week. Yeah. So uh, Kirk says something was here. We saw them on the screen. The guy in the background who's collecting the samples, he uses the pool to clean his hands. And then he like kind of like wipes his hand with water on it across his mouth and basically like licks his hand. God, Dana, what? <laughs> you think they would have learned from season one? Seriously? Because <laughs> <laughs> haven't they learned about being on strange planets, biohazards? Why the f*** does he think he's taking samples? <laughs> yeah, have they not heard of cholera, you know, Giardia? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're on a strange planet. Yeah. Who knows what kind of weird, wacko biohazard there is, right. you know? And I mean, that that's a recipe for a fecal disaster right there. So McCoy looks back, at the, and this guy is wearing a red shirt, and uh, the guy kind of like gets like colorful, uh, like lines of color, and then just disappears. <laughs> McCoy says, Compton. And Kirk asks, what is it? McCoy says, I was looking right at him. Then suddenly, he wasn't there. So next we see Kirk enter the bridge, Kirk asks Scotty if transport controls are functioning because they usually aren't, it seems, lately. Well, I mean, they just got beamed up, so they had to be functioning, yeah. right? And Scotty says, they are. And he asks if Mr. Spock is still on the planet. And Kirk says, no, he's in sick bay. He says the landing party is being examined by McCoy. Uhura reports a malfunction. No, a malfunction, <laughs> Dana? Yeah. 
It's the malfunction junction. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> malfunction junction. What's your function? <laughs> Sulu says it corrected itself and then says the controls are frozen for the hangar deck. So did they transport up or did they take a, a shuttle down? Ah, Dana, the whole the whole episode <laughs> is a mess already. And we're only like five minutes in. It sounds like they asked chat GPT to write it before there was chat GPT. And chat GPT <laughs> was like a seven-year-old. Uh, yeah, that'd make a lot of sense. <laughs> Just sitting there at a typewriter. It's like trying to <laughs> yeah. type out a Star yeah. Trek episode. As dad's behind him going, come on, we can make a lot of money off this. Type faster. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, will I be famous? Who cares? Come on. <laughs> sure. Why not? Uhura plays the recorded message they had received from the planet. A guy in the silver suits as they are down to five survivors out of 900,000. Hmm. And they have taken shelter. Outside, apparently, because they're standing outside. <laughs> do you think they used the leftover silver lame? Yeah, I do. Because they didn't seem like complete costumes. So. Right. You're right. The guy says, there is no explanation for what is happening. We see, and then we see the group of five. Spock says, it is logical to assume the message was pre-recorded. Sulu reports, now the deflectors are inoperative. And he, then he gets like this funny look on his face and he keeps wiping his mouth with the back of his hand. Yeah, and so that never gets explained, Dana. I, I think I can come back to this. All right, I hope so, because I'm, I was confused and angry at the same time. Yeah. McCoy calls Kirk to sickbay. Kirk asks if it, can, if it can wait, but McCoy says he needs to talk to him in person. In sickbay, Kirk enters. Chapel reports that someone has opened the medical supply cabinets. She says nothing is missing, but it's like someone pulled everything out to look at and then put it back. McCoy orders Kirk on the examination table, and Kirk asks about the medical readings. McCoy says everything is normal, and Kirk hears that fly or mosquito sound. Did he hear a cat vomiting by any chance? <laughs> no. Could have only helped the episode. Yeah, so. <laughs> so he gets up from the table and says to McCoy, could something be causing me to hallucinate? Well, probably. Probably some of that stuff you've been drinking in your quarters. I don't know. <laughs> Kirk says, twice before, something touched me, but then there was nothing there. And my underpants were missing. <laughs> and my pants were soiled, like from the inside. <laughs> it's like someone took them and put them back. <laughs> yeah, they're on backwards. <laughs> oh, God. Did I ever tell you the story about... Uh... <laughs> okay, I got to tell you this story. I gotta... Sorry. I know. Another, another ramble jar event. So uh, I was working in the school... And I went into school and I was just like feeling odd all day. You know, it was just like a weird day. And uh, end of the day, I go in the bathroom to use the bathroom. And I'm like, holy crap, I've had my underwear on backwards the whole day. <laughs> now, you would think it wouldn't really matter that much. But I tell you, Dan, I felt weird all day. So here's what our listeners should do. Wear your underwear backwards for a day and just kind of see how you feel. You know, like you're going to feel weird all day. So anyway, yeah, it was weird. Never told you that story, huh? No. I'm so sorry that I had to wait this long to hear it. <laughs> Kirk says some twice before something touched me, but then there was nothing there. McCoy says, physically, there's nothing wrong with you. Mentally, though, you're a whack job. <laughs> yeah. 
I've been meaning to tell you this for some time, Jim. You're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk asks if he could be hallucinating, and McCoy says, no. And I was like, based on what? Yeah, it, yes, <laughs> based on what? <laughs> he's, he's got no idea. Right. <laughs> so Kirk realized there's an alien presence on the ship. Sure, that would be the next logical leap right there. <laughs> As opposed to just a bug, you know. Yeah. So just then Spock hails him. Kirk goes to the intercom, but he has a hard time hearing Spock. I was able to hear Spock okay. But I don't know, so. <laughs> Uhura reports intercom system is breaking down rapidly. I think they just didn't want to talk to Kirk. So uh <laughs> Spock was up there on the bridge and just had a piece of paper and was like crinkling it in front of the microphone. <laughs> Kirk orders a shipwide order. Use communicators instead of the intercom. Issue phasers to all crew members. And then he asks Spock to repeat himself. And Spock says, I have a reading from Life Support Center. Alien substances being introduced. Hmm. And Kirk says, meet me there on the double. So uh, the Life Support Center. Never heard that before. I mean, this is one where I'm not being sarcastic. I actually have never heard this one before. <laughs> we see Kirk as Spock comes up and hands him a phaser. We see two red shirts kind of trotting down the hall uh, ahead of them yeah. when suddenly they're stopped by a force field. The sound, Dan, was like, you know, <laughs> it was it was so lost in spacey. Yeah. Spock checks the tricorder. Then he says he's getting readings that are alien in nature, but they have no exact location. So Kirk orders phasers on stun and to sweep the area. And this was a cool effect, Dan. It's the first time we ever see anything like that. Usually it's hitting someone or anything. It's kind of being shot, you know, towards the camera. Right towards the camera. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, it diffuses out and stuff. So it's really, I was really impressed. So they move forward again, and the two security guards are knocked back by the force field. <laughs> that was great. It's like, you guys, just keep going. <laughs> Spock and Kirk are unaffected. Spock says, it seems only the two of us can enter. I think they should have sent those guys a few more times into the force field. <laughs> yeah. Try harder. You guys just aren't trying hard enough. Yeah. yeah. So. Get that thing a, little, a few more times. <laughs> So Kirk kind of keeps his hand out in front of him uh, like he's, you know, feeling in the dark. And they go into environmental engineering. So they see the life support system with tubing running out of it. And Kirk orders Spock to disconnect it. Of course, he's like, I'm not going to touch that. And Spock says, hey, where are those red shirts? Let, let's get them down here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure if they try a little bit harder to get through that forest field, they can make it. So Yeah. So Spock tries to touch it and gets a shock. He steps back and then both men are suddenly like pushed back. And Kirk says, that wasn't a force field. I was shoved. It was dumb, Dana. It was dumb. <laughs> so they go forward to try to touch the system again and both receive shocks. Kirk says, it's a show of strength. And Spock agrees, says we can look at it, but we can do nothing to stop it. Why didn't they just have a sign on it? Do not touch. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be too easy. It's a show of force, Dan. The thing is, they said it was alien in nature. Didn't look alien at all to me. It just looked like some other piece of equipment on the Enterprise. It, and part of it looked like a 1950s, like, refrigerator, top of a refrigerator, you know, that, yeah. uh, how they used to have the motor on the top. Yes. Yeah. yeah, good point. Yeah. We're this really advanced planet, but when it comes to refrigeration systems, we don't know <laughs> shit. <laughs> we reached into your mind, uh, McCoy, and we found an old Maytag. <laughs> 
on the bridge, <laughs> Spock is inserting a disc into the computer. He's what? Inserting a what? <laughs> a tape is what they call it. Oh, oh so. okay. Tape, yeah. So Scotty walks up and stands close by, and Spock asks the computer if they have been invaded. Affirmative. Nature and description of enemy forces. Data insufficient. Purpose of the invasion. Immediate purpose, seizure and control of Federation Starship Enterprise and crew. Your recommendations? If incapable of resistance, negotiate for terms. Who do you think does a better computer voice, Dan, me or, or the computer? You, Dana. I put this in here <laughs> because I wanted people to hear the real computer voice and understand that your computer voice is like probably eight on the scale of computer voices, where this one's probably a three. I think you should try to do the computer voice as Christopher Walken. <laughs> that would take some time to work on, probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope you're not expecting that right away. So <laughs> <laughs> That would be pretty cool, though. Kirk looks at Scotty and says, we will not negotiate, and says, do you concur? And Scotty agrees, and Spock asks, your recommendation, Captain. So just then, <laughs> this is like the stupidest thing. Kirk sees a yeoman with a tray of coffee just like passing by, and it's like like we're at a baseball game, and she's just walking through, peanuts, popcorn, get your Cracker Jacks here. <laughs> I think she may have worked actually for the for the commissary at the yeah. studio and just happened to be walking by and they're like, oh crap, we don't have enough time and money in season three to get rid of that. <laughs> it's just weird. And Kirk like goes, oh, yeoman. <laughs> and he goes over and grabs a coffee. Totally distracted from the question that Spock asked him. Like, what's your recommendation? Yeah, it's not like it's important. Not like the ship's being taken over or anything. <laughs> he like, needs his coffee. <laughs> it just makes no sense at all. Exactly right. So he sits down in the command chair and he goes, my recommendation. And then he looks away and his coffee kind of looks like it bubbles. Yeah, it gets ripples in it, right? Yeah. Then he's acting like something touched his face. And he finally grabs the coffee and says, make them take the next step. So he drinks the coffee and then he looks over at Scotty at the engineering station. And Scotty appears to be moving in slow motion at his station. I was waiting for Kirk to go. Is that the fastest you can move, mister? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he turns and looks at Spock, and it's the same. Spock is like barely moving at all. Yeah. He goes to Spock and says, Spock. But Spock doesn't answer. And then a woman calls him. And he turns and sees her in her brightly colored outfit. Well, hold on a second. I got a question for you, Dana. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt again. This is just going to be how this <laughs> one goes tonight. So we saw that ripple in the coffee, and it, it almost looks like, someone put something in it. So this show was groundbreaking, right? Last week we had the first interracial kiss. Yep. Huge deal. This week, I think we have seen the first Cosby moment on American television. <laughs> he got Cosby'd. I didn't think of it that way. Sorry, Dana. I just had to jump in there with that. No problem, Dan. Uh, that's, that's, uh, why you're going to be moving up to Commodore soon. So uh, he turns and sees this woman in uh, blonde hair and brightly colored outfit. And he gets a smile on his face like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just kind of like, and then a kind of smile fades and he walks towards her and she throws her arms around his neck and kisses him. Yeah. And he pulls back and he goes, who are you? And she says, Dila. 
the enemy. And we see her outfit on the right side is barely there. Right. There's no pant leg, no shirt sleeve. The whole thing on the right side seems tied together by two little pieces of fabric, Dan. She's also got what looks like a purple merkin. It's just this purple fuzzy thing kind of right down at, at the, I mean, how else you say it, kind of at the crotch level. Yeah, it looked like she's wearing like a fuzzy G-string. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, in the 90s, there was a band called the Purple Merkins. Yeah, I think you've told me that before. Yeah. Their most famous song was Merkin Mania. Just throw that in there again. <laughs> and when I say famous, I mean not famous at all. Kirk says, what have you done with my men? And she says, nothing. And he walks around and everyone is motionless. And he goes, you call this nothing? She says, we changed you. So you are like me now. Your crew cannot see you or any of us because of the acceleration. And you've got a purple Merkin. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I thought something felt a little weird down there. <laughs> thought I had my underwear on backwards, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it feels like. <laughs> she says, we move in the wink of an eye. All that really matters is that you can see me and talk to me and we can go on from there. And Kirk says, Why? And she says, because I like you. Didn't you guess? Or are you so accustomed to being kissed by an invisible woman? So then she oh, kisses Dana, him again. Dana, 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 <laughs> Dana, Dana, Dana. What? I think happening? Kirk wrote this script. I think Shatner wrote this script. <laughs> she says, we just made some adjustments to accommodate us. Kirk says, we? She says, my crew. I am their queen. And you will be our king. Jesus, You'll enjoy Dana. living on Scalos. <laughs> No, no, this is stupid. God, Dana, this is so stupid. Kirk pulls his phaser and he says, this won't kill you, but the effect will be quite unpleasant. And she smiles and says, go ahead and shoot. <laughs> she says, point it right at me. And Kirk fires and the green beam goes very slowly from his phaser. And she just kind of moves her head a little bit and it goes past her. So he was going to shoot her in the head. <laughs> Good job, Kirk. I mean, right in the face, really. In the face, yeah. <laughs> so then she pulls this thing out of her sleeve and she points it at Kirk and the phaser that he was holding flies out of his hand. Kirk leaves the bridge. She touches the brooch on her collar. We find out it's a communicator. Oh. And she says, he's on his way to you. Be gentle. So Uhura suddenly gets up from her chair and goes, Captain. He's gone. And Spock checks and asks Sulu if he saw it. And Sulu confers. Well, so was like, Sulu just turned around staring at the captain while he's drinking his coffee? It's it's fascinating the way the captain drinks his coffee. So, you know, Sulu wants to imitate the captain as much as possible. So well, He's like, coffee? Where'd you get coffee? How come I can't get any coffee? Do we not count over here? So we see Kirk running down the corridor. He comes up to the two guards who were uh, knocked down by the force field before. They appear to be frozen now. So he pushes them into the force field just to <laughs> Just keeps bouncing them off. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what's happening? What is happening? <laughs> keep hitting the force field. <laughs> they got like burn marks on their head when they wake up. <laughs> So as he passes by the guards, Compton comes out of the environmental engineering area, and he's holding one of the Scalosians' weapons. Kirk asks if he's been accelerated too, and Compton says yes. He says, at first I resisted, but then I found I couldn't help myself. And Kirk orders him to move, and he says, I can't, by order of the commander. And Kirk says, I'm your commander. Compton says, I met a girl. 
<laughs> nice way to change the subject. <laughs> it's like they edited this thing, Dana, and they like left something in that shouldn't have been there, or they forgot to put something in that should have been. Yeah, it says, uh, she asked questions, and I told her all about the ship's functions. Of course you did. That's the thing to do with guests on the ship. <laughs> yeah, he's just being polite, Dana. Yes, Kirk would have done the same thing. Sure. So Kirk seems to give up and starts to turn away. Then he does this kind of backwards kick, like a mule kick or something. Bad. And knocks the weapon out of Compton's hand. And then he punches him. And Compton goes flying like right into the camera. He did. He hit the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Kirk goes in the environmental room. Two men are there. They uh, stun Kirk. And they're in the leftover silver LeMay. Yeah. Compton comes in and says, you heard him. He's my captain. This guy's a bit delusional, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Wait, wasn't he just on the other side because he met a girl and now he's back on the captain's side? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He can't make up his mind. So the guy says he was violent and Compton fights with them. And one of the guys hits him from behind with like a slashing movement across the back of his neck. Compton falls to the floor. One of the other guys goes and looks at Compton and goes, cell damage. <laughs> I, I think that's like his version of saying he's dead. <laughs> ah, okay. Maybe we should count that one then. Yeah, I was. we'll debate that. So uh, <laughs> the older looking guy looks at the blonde girl and says, don't worry, another one will be secured for you. Wait, so so this is a different blonde girl than Dila. Yeah. But this must be the one Compton was talking about. I think she took his virginity. That's why he was all like, well, I met a girl. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I, there are a couple times in this episode where there's some things that made it past the censors that probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Well, the whole episode shouldn't have made it past the censors. Shouldn't have made past the producer, the, the writer. Yeah. So The janitor. <laughs> and so, Dan, he, and he's got a scratch on his neck. We can see it bleeding a little bit, right? Yeah. And that's when the guy kneels down next to Compton and says, cell damage. Yeah. Okay. On the bridge, Spock is examining the coffee Kirk was drinking. He says he's getting trace readings similar to the planet. He checks Sulu's coffee and Scotty's coffee. See, everybody was drinking coffee on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to say something about the coffee, Dana. Okay. This is something that bothers me about television shows and movies. When there's supposed to be coffee or another drink in a cup, and there obviously isn't. I mean, Spock yeah. is slinging that coffee around with wild <laughs> abandon. You know, he would be flinging hot coffee on Uhura and Scotty and Sulu, and it'd be getting in the command chair and the sparks would be flying. I mean, it just bugs me, Dana. It bugs me when it's so clear there's nothing in there. So in the environmental control room, Dila is there now, and she's kneeling next to Kirk. She says, I hate it when they're damaged. You're going to have to learn to control your temper, Rail. I do not want that to happen to this one. I want to keep this one a long time. He's pretty. Rail walks over to her and says, Kirk is inferior. You cannot allow yourself to feel such an attachment. She says, I can feel anything I want. And amazingly, Kirk starts to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing Kirk does is points the additions on the environmental system and says, what is that device doing on my ship? Rail walks away and says, Dila will explain. And she says, I'll tell you anything you want to know, and you'll approve of it. Rail points to the system and says, go ahead, Captain. It's not yet completely linked to your support system, but it is in operating order. What? What, what does that mean? <laughs> it is or it isn't? <laughs> it's ready to go. 
it can still operate. Well, what's taking them so long? They're accelerated. What, you know? <laughs> so he says, study it if you wish. I suggest that you do not touch it. Oh, you know. Kirk touches the device briefly and then clamps both of his hands firmly onto it as as like an act of defiance. Mm -hmm. And we hear the sound like, like electricity or sizzling. It's like he's getting shocked, right? Yeah, yeah. And so Dila basically pries Kirk's hands off the machine. And she says, he told you not to touch it. Look at your hands. They're almost frozen. So Kirk sees Compton on the floor, and, and the young man now looks very old. Yeah. Rail says, his cells were damaged when fighting with you. And he says, when cells are damaged, they age very rapidly and die. And Kirk is stunned. He says, he was so young. And a virgin. Rail, well, he was when we went down to the planet. <laughs> <laughs> So Kirk walks out of the room. Dila turns to Rail, says, why did you lie to him? He did not damage Compton. You did. And Rail says, perhaps he'll be less violent now. So she touches her brooch and says, he's in the medical lab trying to communicate with the Vulcan. How did she know where he was? That little thing on her neck just is like an all-seeing eye. I, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and who the hell is she talking to? <laughs> She's talking to Rail because now he like leans in, Rail leans in and kisses Dila. Is like mashing his face into hers. Yeah. She pulls back and smiles and says, "Go back to work." <laughs> he was. I was trying to work. That's what I was yeah. working on. <laughs> yeah. And then she leaves, and Rail just looks angry now. So in the medical lab, Kirk is talking to the computer terminal while Spock, McCoy, and Chapel are across the room from him, unmoving. Kirk says, Kirk to Spock, I have fed all the ascertainable facts into the computer banks. And Dila enters around then. Dila says, go ahead. You won't accomplish anything. Kirk goes on. Hyperacceleration is the key. Then it's yada, yada, yada. You mentioned last <laughs> week's episode was wordy. This was like yeah. wordy on freaking steroids, this one. It was... Accelerated, Morty. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. It really, you know, I should have watched this episode fast in fast forward. You know, it just would have been, it probably would have been better. Couldn't have heard it. <laughs> and he says, this is enslavement, yada, yada, yada. He goes, when damaged, yada, yada, yada. They are incredibly fast. <laughs> Kirk goes on, the device attached to life support produces extreme cold. Turning the Enterprise into a deep freeze for purposes unknown. Okay, okay, hold, hold on, Dave. <laughs> First off, he's been in sickbay for like a minute, and he's ascertained all these facts somehow in that short amount of time. And how does he know that's what this thing is going to do to the Enterprise? Maybe it just runs cold, and it's going to do something else. Just thought it was guesswork on his part. I mean, she did tell him some stuff. and But nothing about freezing the ship or anything like that, right? Yeah, he's just like, his hands are, you know, have some frostbite. So he's thinking that's what the purpose is. So, but, you know, frostbite is damage to your skin. It's damage to cells. Oh, that is a great point, Dana. Yeah. So then Kirk goes on, the unit is protected, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and basically, it must be destroyed. <laughs> so. First off, Dana, I'm going to personally thank you for cutting all that stuff out. And our, our listeners should call you, Dana, and thank you personally on the Damage Gym Hotline <laughs> for cutting all that stuff out. And Kirk asks, why are you doing this? Dana says, do you really want to know? And then she goes into their life history a long time ago 
we were like you, volcanic eruptions, polluted water, radiation. <laughs> None of it made any sense. None <laughs> it of changes, accelerated us, children died, women could not have children, men were sterile. We put out a distress call, attracted ships, <laughs> uh, mated with them, they died. We're going to take you down with us. We won't hurt you. I like you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's the best recap I've ever heard you do of any any episode. But here's the problem. If they're all sterile and the women can't have children, why are they capturing aliens? Because apparently she thinks that uh, it's worth trying with uh, aliens to, you know, try to reproduce. Kirk says, we'll help you. We'll move you to another planet. Call on the greatest minds in the Federation. Dela says, we tried to make the transition to your level. Those who tried died. So then Rail calls her and tells her to go to the transporter room with the captain. As she's talking to Rail, Kirk takes the disc from the computer and puts it in the computer Spock is working at. Because they're still frozen on the other side of the room, right? Yeah, exactly. Rail says he's programmed the system to give them time to get off the ship. And then Kirk, like, leaves while she's still chatting with him. And Dila realizes Kirk's gone. And Rail <laughs> tells her to go, go after him. <laughs> so in the transporter room, Kirk is under the transporter control console. So he pulls something out of the bottom and he stands just as Dila enters, holding her weapon pointed at him. She asks why he ran. And he says he panicked. <laughs> She doesn't believe him. Rail calls to her and says, beam him down. So Dila works the control panel. Everyone, their fucking brother's little three-year-old can operate the transporter, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that same thing. I was like, I wonder what Dana's going to say about this. Uh, she knows how to operate the transporter. Never, ever seen it before. Right. Never saw it operated. No. Nobody's nobody's beamed down or anything. Maybe they got it out of Compton somehow, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably what it is. Yeah, yeah. he's like, you don't need to take notes. You have a toaster on your planet. Okay, you know how you push that thing down? <laughs> that's all you need to do. Yeah. Don't, don't set it for too long, because they might get a little crispy on the way down, but... <laughs> so Kirk goes to the transporter pad, and he's got this kind of grin on his face. She works the controls again, but nothing happens. Kirk says... It was working before. Oh, and she calls down to rail and says, there's been a malfunction. So she looks to Kirk and says, if I had a suspicious nature, Captain, I would say that you sabotaged the transporter to buy time. And Kirk stands very close to her and touches her neck. Kirk says, I believe in honest relationships myself. That was the biggest lie he's ever told in this episode or show. It's serious. <laughs> yeah. So in the medical lab, Spock waves away uh, sound and asks McCoy if he heard that. McCoy says, I've been hearing it since we've been down to Scalos. Spock says he knows what it is. And then he says he'll be on the bridge and he takes off. In Kirk's quarters, Dila is saying his room is a lot like him, austere, efficient, in its own way, handsome. Kirk says a room should reflect its occupant. Dila says, absolutely. May I freshen up? <laughs> Jesus Christ. So bad. <laughs> she goes to this dresser and she uses a comb yeah. and combs her hair. She says, All this rushing about has left me windblown. <laughs> what the? <laughs> so there's so much wind there on the Enterprise. So uh, she's, she says, well, I'm glad you allow yourself some comforts. Like a brush and a comb? Is that what <laughs> yeah. she's talking about? Yeah. So uh, she said, uh, Are you married, Captain? No family, no attachments. 
I know. You're married to your career, and you never look at another woman. Well, if she's pretty enough, I'll look. She says, you will come around to our way of thinking sooner or later. And then they kiss again. In the transporter room, Rail is under the council now. Another guy comes in and says, there are no problems anywhere else. Rail tells him to get the others and prepare to beam down. He calls to Dila, but she does not answer. Mm. And he calls her like several times. Yeah. And then he storms off. Uh-oh. So in Kirk's quarters, we see him pulling on his boot while Dila combs her hair in the mirror. Combing stuff out of her hair, yeah. You know, it was just like knots in her hair. That's what I meant by that, Dana. And and Dan, this is the most obvious suggestion that Kirk and Dila did the dirty deed. So it's clear, Dana, right? Yeah. It's totally clear. How did that get by the sensors? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, what were the sensors thinking? Oh, look, Kirk must have had a rock in his boot, so he took off his boot to check it. And You know, I'm thinking that they watched, like, the episode up till this part, and they were like, holy crap, this is bad. <laughs> let's just let's just call it a day. So as Kirk finishes pulling out his boot, uh, he looks, like, kind of tired and kind of looks up at the ceiling like, oh, this is exhausting, you know. <laughs> So he stands and he goes and he pulls on uh, Dila's hair kind of playfully. Then she turns around and they kiss. So just then Rail enters and swings at Kirk. Kirk ducks and Rail follows him. Kirk uses a pillow to hold him off. Yeah, but the pillow, Dana. Once again, we see a pillow being used in a fight. Kirk ducks a couple more swings and he gets backed into a corner. He picks up a chair as Dila pulls her weapon. She stuns Rail, but he keeps going and tries to attack Kirk again. She fires again, and he stops. And she asks if Kirk is damaged, and he says no. And she says, how very fortunate for you, Rail. Rail says, you know how I feel. Don't torment me. And Dila <laughs> says, what I do is necessary, and you have no right to question it. Allow me the dignity of liking the man I select. And she says, is the transporter repaired? And he says, no. So she sends him off to fix the transporter. So once again, this doesn't really make any sense. She said that the men on their planet were sterile. Okay, that that would explain why you'd need to go out and get like a donor. So Kirk's being used as kind of like a sperm donor. Okay, that, that makes sense. But she also said at the same time that the women were unable to have children, right? Yeah. So the implication is here that she mated with Kirk so she could have like his love child so that race would go on. By the way, Dana, how many how many is this? Five or six love children he's got floating around the universe? Yeah, I was thinking four or five. Okay, let's let's just say five. We can both okay. agree on five. It just makes no none of it makes any sense, Dana. Kirk says, I hope I behave correctly. Then he asks, Why are we here? And he seems changed. He asks, are we going to Scalos? And she asks if he really wants to go. And he says, yes. And she calls Rail and says, Kirk has accepted the situation. He's made the adjustment. So in the medical lab, McCoy pours some fluid into another little beaker and Spock checks it and says it counteracts the substance. McCoy says, yeah, in a lab setting. McCoy says, how will you get it to Jim? And Spock picks up another tube and says, by drinking the Scalation water. And so he drinks some. He points out that McCoy and Chapel are moving very slow. And then he takes the antidote, I'm guessing it is, and tucks it in the back of his pants and runs out. <laughs> I just hope it doesn't spill when, it's, when he's running around. <laughs> in the transporter room, Rail beams out three of his associates. So he reports to Dila that the transporter is fixed. She asks, why didn't he tell her earlier? Maybe he just fixed it. God. <laughs> he said he didn't want to intrude. 
He says uh, he has to go to life support to prepare the system. So we see Rail do something with the system and life support system. And back in the transporter room, Scotty is now just inside the door. He's been kind of like slowly moving inside the door as people have gone out of the in and out of the transporter room. And Dela and Kirk enter. Kirk goes to take her hand, then he takes the weapon from her, and he says, sorry, and then he runs off. Kirk goes running down the hall and sees Spock. He stops next to Spock as Spock draws his phaser. So they look in the environmental room and see Rail at the machine. Rail turns and fires at them. Kirk and Spock hide behind the wall. When Rail turns back to the machine, Kirk fires, stunning him. Rail drops to the floor. Kirk fires again and blows up the machine. Hey, Dana, Rail is a dumb shit. <laughs> he could have stood on the other side of the machine. <laughs> He knew he didn't hit him. I mean, what does he think they're going to do when he turns his back to them? Yeah. So in the transporter room, Scotty is slightly further into the room. He's like one more step or so. Kirk, Spock, and Dela are by the controls. Spock says, if you will devote yourself exclusively to the concerns of Skalos, we shall be pleased to remain and take care of the Enterprise. What? What does that mean? <laughs> no, I it, nothing, Dana. It means nothing like the rest of the show. It, it means you do you, we'll do us. Okay. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> so Dila joins Rail on the transporter pad. Rail's like thinking about hanging himself after listening to this whole fucking <laughs> thing. <laughs> Spock beams him away. Spock then tells Kirk about the counter agent he hands a small bottle to kirk and says it has not been tested kirk downs the liquid then kirk speaks but his words are very slow and it's like he's saying mr spock and he's like mr suddenly scotty steps forward and kirk says spock <laughs> and scotty goes where the blazes did you come from? Kirk <laughs> rushes out of the transporter room and Scotty follows. Next, we get the captain's log, start at 5710.9. Mr. Spock has remained in accelerated time so that he might repair the ship more rapidly. Well, what's all wrong with the ship? Well, he's got to disconnect the Frigidaire unit and stuff. And... <laughs> Spock's not like the HVAC guy. You know. <laughs> he's got coveralls on. And yeah, it's a... <laughs> hey, while I'm here, I might as well change these filters and, you know. A few light bulbs out in the hall. I'll take care of those, too. Yeah, we'll so. do those, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something's obviously wrong with the intercom system. I'll fix that. So. Yep, I'm not a carpet cleaner, but, man, this carpet's dirty. <laughs> Just, we got some fresh spots in Kirk's quarters. Not sure what that's all about. So Sulu and Uhura report uh, systems are back online. Next thing you know, Spock appears next to Kirk. And Kirk thanks him for his work. Mr. Spock. My compliments to your repair work and yourself. Thank you, Captain. I found it an accelerating experience. Dana wanted to reach into the screen and strangle <laughs> everyone I could get my hands on. So next we see the image of Dila and her fellow Skeloshians appear on the screen. Uhura apologizes, saying she must have hit the recording by accident. Kirk smiles and says, that's no malfunction. I, I don't get that. What, what does he mean? So we see Dila looking sad. Kirk smiles and softly says, goodbye, Dila. And Dan, that's how the show ends. 
Dana, you have some more information to share with us about this episode and some of the people in it. When I was watching this, I kept thinking this story seemed kind of familiar. One of the writers, or actually one of the producers that was involved in this, had worked on Wild Wild West. In Wild Wild West, I believe it was in season one, there was the Night of the Burning Diamond. It's where a scientist found a way to make himself super fast, so fast he was invisible. But it's actually based on a H.G. Wells story. Oh, really? Called The New Accelerator. Wow, that was probably written in the late 1800s, early 1900s, probably. Yeah. Crazy. Kind of cool idea. Yeah. Also, Kathy Brown's the one that played Dila. Mm -hmm. She actually married Darren McGavin from Kolchak the Night Stalker. Oh, yeah. Uh, she did appear in a lot of TV shows and a few movies, mostly B pictures. One of the TV shows included a recurring role on Bonanza as Adam Cartwright's fiance. Uh, she also showed up in Wild Wild West, Hondo, Sea Hunt, Perry Mason, and she showed up in uh, one of the TV episodes of Kolchak the Night Stalker. One of her last roles was on The Love Boat. She retired from acting in 1980 and died of natural causes in 2003. She was not in... Any other films of a lascivious nature then? Nope. I think Darren McGavin saved her from that fate. So Jason Evers, who played Rail, might be best known for starring in the B-movie classic, The Brain That Wouldn't Die. It's one of my favorites growing up. I love that movie. I love B-movies in general, Dana. Oh, the B-movies of the 50s. Yes. So he starred in a lot of classic 1960s TV westerns. He had a small role in the movie The Green Berets alongside George Takei. Oh, yeah. And also worked uh, in Escape from Planet of the Apes with Ricardo Montalban. Several years ago, when one of my sons was pretty young, we were in a store that had a big bin of like all the movies that no one wanted to buy on DVD. Like a huge bin. It had to be like three feet tall and three feet across and just all these crappy movies, you know. I bought the original three movies in the Planet of the Apes series for like $3. Oh, wow. Still shrink-wrapped, haven't opened them. <laughs> <laughs> the original Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston yeah. is one of my probably top 20 movies. It's great. It's great. I should open those and watch them all. Evers had a long acting career, but he did keep falling into those B-movies, including a couple 70s films called Barracuda, and the movie Claws. Hmm. And that's not like Santa. It was like Bear Claws. Oh, it wasn't. It was not a Christmas movie then. No. And uh, he died at uh, age 83 in 2005. Dan, do you have any other information you want to share with us about the episode or the characters? Yeah. Jay Jones played an engineer in this episode, just kind of a background role. Danny, you may remember him from the episode Cat's Paw, where he played Crewman Jackson. Yeah, the guy that fell off the transporter pad. Yeah, and that was his first role in the series. I thought it was going to be his last. We fell. And he had never watched the series before then. And remember, we talked about back then how he had to ask a neighbor kid what his sole line meant. And the line was, I'm ready to beam up, sir. He, he didn't know what that <laughs> meant. Remember that? Yeah. Well, apparently they thought, well, did a good enough job falling off there. We're going to give him a... We're going to uh, give him a couple more roles. So he also appeared as a security guard in the episode, The Apple. And he's the guy that got blown up and was really seriously injured when he got blown up. Yeah. So they offered him another episode and he's like, yeah, why not? I'll take this episode. <laughs> so he's in the background in this episode. It doesn't get blown up. Oh, I thought you were going to say something like fell on his head. and something. Else. No, nothing. Nothing really happened in this episode. Interestingly, though, he appeared in the 1990 music video by the band The Scorpions for the song Tease Me, Please Me. 
Wow. Yeah, he's still alive <laughs> at the age of 81. We should get him on the show. But that's all I have, Dana. Dan, do you want to discuss uh, themes and dilemmas for this episode? Yeah, why don't we? So, Dana, what is a theme or dilemma for this episode? Oh, Dan, that's pretty easy. Don't answer distress calls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, it always leads to something bad. And the only person they've saved so far, as I can remember, is Alexander. Yeah. Okay, Dan, do you have a theme or dilemma you want to share? Yeah, my dilemma is why did I watch this episode? I should have just read some cliff note version of it and not even subjected myself to this again. It's horrible. <laughs> Dan, let's move on to the uh, best and worst. Do you have a best part for us? I do. There actually was a best part, Dana. We finally get a dead guy. <laughs> it's been forever. When was the last time there was someone who died? Was Did we get anyone this season, Dana? I think it's been since season two. We got half of somebody this season, didn't we? Yeah, Chekhov. Chekhov, yeah. How about a best part for you? Dan, that scene where they fire the phasers at the force field, maybe the best effect of the whole series. How about you? Do you have another one for us? Yeah, Kirk having, quote, relations with Dila. And and this means, Dana, that we do absolutely 100% have another Kirk love child in the universe. Well, that's what she wanted. Right. How about another best part for you? Dila's costume. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what's not to like about it? And I think uh, Julie Newmar would have looked good in that. She'd look good in anything to you, though, right? Pretty much. And she looked best in nothing. Dan, how about a worst part for you? There were too many words in this episode, Dana. So much talking. You know, maybe if they would have sped up the talking, <laughs> I would have enjoyed it much more. Too much talking. How about a worst part for you, Dana? Maybe nitpicky, but Rail's costume. And along those same lines, was his name Rail or Rayel? Dila seemed to say it different every time. How about another worst part for you, Dan? Yeah, the alien being jealous of Kirk getting the girl. Again, Dana, we've seen this several times, and it's getting old, you know, really old. How about another worst part for you, Dana? Kind of mentioned this before, the contraption to put the ship into a deep freeze looks like some 1950s air conditioner, or it would have, look like it had floor vents on it. And <laughs> I, I mean, I could have duct taped together something that would look more futuristic. Dana, I know you've got a bunch more worst parts, but can you maybe just choose one? <laughs> I know it's going to be hard. Well, I kind of mentioned this too. Many of the special effects seemed really cheap. And I know that they were having a tight budget this year. You know, at this point, Lost in Space was done. And I think whoever was doing their special effects for Lost in Space came over to Star Trek. Some of the special effects just looked bad, you know, and it's it's such a contrast because you have that one really good special effect in there. Right. Just oh, so many things bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> Should we go to the what happened in this day in history, Dana? Yeah, Dan, this aired on November 29th, 1968. Dan, the number one song in the U.S. was Love Child by Diana Ross and the Supremes. Wow, she knocked off the Beatles in Hey Jude. In the uh, U.K., the number one song was The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly by Hugo Montenegro and his orchestra and chorus. It'll be fun to see how long that one lasts, Dana. Yeah. That's what uh, Dila said about Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, uh, English truck driver Fred West, believed to have already murdered two young girls, met his soulmate, the woman with whom he was able to indulge his perverted desires to his heart's content. English teenager Rosemary Letts, on her 15th birthday, they would marry a year later, 
before their arrest in 1994. What? Listen to this. They would work together as husband and wife serial killer team between 1971 and 1987. Fred and Rose would murder at least 10 more women and girls, most of them at their home in 25 Cromwell Street in Gloucester. What did they do from 87 to 94? They just like retire or what? I think, you know, sometimes the uh, court processes take a while and stuff. But Well, uh, oh, they got caught in 87. That's what I'm guessing. It uh. doesn't doesn't say. I'm sure I could dig deeper into it, but uh, it's kind of uh, not like those. There's no happy ending to this story. So other than the fact that they did get caught. Wow. Gruesome. Woo. Gruesome. Good news on this date. John Lennon and Yoko Ono released their first album, Two Virgins. That's the one where uh, they appear on the cover naked. Rescue efforts halted for the 78 coal miners trapped by the Farmington mine disaster explosion as the decision was made to seal up portals into Consolidation Coal Company Mine Number 9 at Mannington, West Virginia, extinguishing the underground fires and entombing the bodies inside. Wait, wait a second. Wait, wait, were they alive when they sealed up the holes? No. Oh, that's good. Air samples at the mod's run area of the mine revealed that the concentration of carbon monoxide and methane was too high for anyone to have survived. The ceiling came 10 days after the explosion and hours after company president William J. Corcoran had met the night before with relatives of the 78 men and announced the decision. Yeah, Dana, I'm kind of thinking, eh, we don't really know if they're dead but we don't really want to spend any more money to find out, you know, so we're just going to seal this whole thing up. Yeah, might have been how it went, yeah. I wouldn't trust them, would you? No, no, no. That's all I got, then. All right, Dana, let's do the counts. How about the dead crewman count? Dan, we had uh, one crewman come through for us. It was Compton, and so that puts us up to 48.5. Thank you for your sacrifice, Compton. How about the shirtless Kirk Rip shirt Kirk count? Unless we're counting uh, seeing him pull on his boot, it uh, didn't happen. So uh, we are still at 19. And the he's dead count? I'm saying that that didn't happen. Uh, so we're left at 22. Your favorite one, I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. For the love of Mike, come on. <laughs> Just give me something. There's got to be one. There's got to be one more. So uh, we are still at eight, Dan. How about the Supreme being count? Nope, nope. Uh, there's nobody that within uh, a thousand parsecs that could uh, be considered <laughs> supreme in this episode. So, Except the writer. Oh, wait, no, wait, not even the writer. So we are still at 12. Dana, how about the violation of the prime directive? Dan, there is plenty of violations in this episode, but uh, not of the prime directive. So uh, we are still at 12. Yeah, my senses were violated. How about uh, taking over of the enterprise count? That did happen. That bumps us up to 15. All right. That's a good one. And once again, the who's commanding the Enterprise count. Now, I counted three, Scotty twice and Spock once. Yep, that's what I have. Okay. That bumps us up to 42. Wow, Dana, 42. Thank you, Pam McClung. Yep, that's right. So, Dana, what do we have coming up next week? Dan, next week we have... The Empath. Once again, Dana, even though this episode was really horrible, I had a great time talking with you about it. Super fun to make fun. 
Dana, of some of these episodes. Yeah, Dan, it's uh, it's always great to get together with you and talk about Star Trek. And uh, even on the very worst episodes, we find uh, something to enjoy. Uh, usually it's just our own comments. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun. And we always appreciate hearing from our listeners, uh, people we call our friends. Keep those coming. And we are still working on the idea for uh, giving away some Damn It Jim podcast polo shirts. Uh, so that'll be happening here in the next couple of weeks. So Dan, what's the phone number if people want to call in? Yeah, the Dammit Jim hotline can be reached at 509-676-6298. Have a great weekend, Dana. Hey, you too, Dan. And until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast.com at gmail.com or join the discussion on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or X. You can also call the Dammit Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Enjoy the rest of your week and as always remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.